Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 2 Kings chapter 5. If you'd like to follow along, you can find it in your pew Bible on page 293. But before I read that, let us pray together. Merciful God, in this moment of stillness, wash us clean of our presumptions. Receive us as your weary children. Then, by the power of your Spirit, bless us with a word that revives. For we pray in the name of Jesus, your living word. Amen. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send a long letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life? That this man sends word to me to cure this man of his leprosy. Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let them come to me, that he may learn there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came in with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be made clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash 
and be clean. So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have seen me post on social media about this a few months ago, but I have the sweetest story about my three-year-old Davis that I have to share with you. I've told you before that I grew up in a family that loves to sing, and somewhere along the way I began making up songs, especially once we had Davis. I made up songs for bath time and for hand washing, about potty training, anything that would help us pass the time for things that Davis thought were less than pleasant tasks. But the one song I made up that wasn't task-related was the song to teach Davis his name. You see, names are important. My dad always told me growing up that someone was not your friend if you did not know their last name. And my husband, probably because people often shorten his name, believes that you should pay attention when someone shares their name with you so you can call them by it. It's Thomas, not Tom. And so I made up a song for our firstborn to help him learn his name. Simple as it can be, it goes, Davis Emmanuel, Whitley, Davis Emmanuel, Whitley, Davis Emmanuel, Whitley, you are loved by God. I would sing it to him when I changed his diaper or when I was rocking him to sleep. We'd sing it if we were cuddled up after a good book or when he got too fussy in the car and I needed to help calm him down. The song was a regular refrain in his early childhood. One night, a few months ago, as I was tucking him into bed, I looked at him and sang his song. When I finished, he looked back at me, and he sang, Trinity Joy Whitley, you are loved by God. I tried not to lose it or to make too big of a deal, Although I was melting on the inside, I gave him a kiss and told him thank you and left the room. But I realized it had worked. Not only does my child know his own name, but I got to experience how powerful it was when he used my name. And so when I read our scripture this morning, I become a little troubled Multiple times in the story, players' names are not shared. Integral players to the story of God, and we don't know their names. And so I think we have to take a closer look at all those involved to understand why. Naaman was a man of power. He had military success as the leader of the army of Aram, which is modern-day Syria. We hear that this success came from God in spite of Naaman's physical condition. 
It's unclear exactly what is meant by leprosy, but we know that Naaman suffers in a way that makes him long for healing. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 13 and 14, there is significant discussion on the way that those with leprosy are seen as ritually unclean. It requires that those with leprosy be on the fringe of society until they are made well. As a general in the community in which Naaman lives, it does not seem that he has to follow these rules. He has not been excluded from society. Perhaps his power has given him some benefit. But there are some things that even the most power cannot overcome. And the need for healing was one of them. The slave girl in our text goes unnamed. We know that she was captured during the Aramean raid of Israel and that she serves Naaman's wife. But that's all we really know about her. She doesn't seem to hold on to bitterness towards the general, though, because she has knowledge that she knows can change Naaman's life. And she doesn't choose to keep it to herself. The unnamed girl changes the life of Naaman by pointing the way to the prophet in Israel. She clearly communicates that it is the prophet that Naaman needs to see. Naaman's wife also relays the message that is the prophet in Israel that can bring healing. However, somewhere along the way, lost in translation or in views of power, we shift from going to the prophet to sending an entourage with gifts to the king of Israel. Blinded by power, Naaman and the king of Aram seem to miss where God is working. And they aren't the only ones. As a person of faith, the king of Israel should have known to send Naaman to the prophet for healing. Instead, he sees the gifts and caravan that have come his way from Syria, and he begins to panic. He is sure that this is a trap. Thankfully, Elisha, the prophet, hears of the king's reaction and calls for him to send Naaman to him for healing. In case you missed it, Naaman is under the impression that he is kind of a big deal. He comes to Elijah riding in his chariot, surrounded by his entourage, ready to get this healing started. And what does Elisha do? Does the prophet even come out to meet him? No. Elisha gives him a self-serve, third-rate river cure. The prophet sent word to Naaman through a messenger. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Naaman proceeds to throw a fit. This is not how God is supposed to heal me. In the midst of his tantrum, other 
unnamed servants appeal to Naaman, calling him father. They come not only as servants, but as ones who care. Wouldn't you have done a much harder task if the prophet had told you to? Why not go and do this simple task? And now Naaman is able to hear. He went and washed, and he was made clean. I stopped our lesson at verse 14, but I feel we fall short if we don't read just one more verse. You see, after going and washing in the Jordan and having been cured, 2 Kings 5 verse 15 says this of Naaman. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all of the earth except in Israel. Naaman was not only transformed on the outside, he was transformed on the inside. God used ordinary river water to transform Naaman, body and soul. I can't help but see parallels to baptism with this Naaman encounter. I often like to remind us in baptism that we use ordinary water as a sign of our extraordinary God. In baptism, we're reminded of what God has done and continues to do for each of us, claiming us as children of God. In baptism, we're each called by name and reminded that we are God's beloved, named and loved. In this transformative trip to the Jordan, Naaman recognized that he too is claimed by God. Ordinary water, a sign of our extraordinary God. Our Bible lesson names the powerful, the general in the army, the prophet who does the healing, but passes by and naming the slave girl, the servants, even Naaman's wife. Those who seem to have no power are passed over so that the spotlight can focus on our power players. It seems pretty similar to how our world works today. Those who have the most followers on Instagram, we even have a term for it, we call them influencers. Or those who can donate the most money to support our cause, those are the people to whom we listen. Those are the ones the world sees as powerful. But our scripture reminds us that God spoke to and through the nameless. God claims and knows each of us by name. 
I wonder how our lives might be transformed if instead of being blinded by images of power, we started listening to the nameless in our midst. If we started acknowledging everyone in their roles as God's beloved. What might that do within our church family? What might that do for our community? What might that do in our world? In Arlington National Cemetery, there's the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. If you've ever had a chance to visit, you know that it's a somber and a powerful place. The tomb stands atop a hill in the cemetery overlooking Washington, D.C., and around it are the remains of soldiers from World War I and World War II, the Korean and Vietnam Wars. These soldiers died and were never identified. On this 4th of July weekend, I can't help but think about the change that occurred because of the service of these unnamed soldiers. Inscribed on the tomb are the words, Here rest in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. Their names are unknown to us but they are known to God. To embody that honor that is inscribed there, a guard is always present at the tomb. Perhaps you've gone and watched the changing of the guard. You see, as the guards stand watch, they make 21 paces across the platform. They pause for 21 seconds and turn. Pause again and turn. And then they make the 21 paces back across the way. They do this over and over again, standing guard, until the next soldier appears to take their place. Guarding a grave of soldiers they never met, that they do not know, whose names will never be known. They honor the service of these soldiers with their action. I think perhaps it's time for us to take a note from those on duty. To live as one who embodies God's love. To honor those whom our world might treat as nameless with the way that we choose to live our lives. Perhaps if I began to listen, instead of being sucked into the power vacuum that is around me, I'd begin to hear the heart of someone whom I disagree with. And I'd begin to learn and grow. Perhaps if we listen to the nameless in our community, we might begin to find solutions to issues that make our world look less than it should as the kingdom of God. I don't know exactly what that look like, looks like, but I know this to be true. The slave girl, the servants, Naaman's wife, each mattered to God. 
If I live like everyone around me matters to God, if I begin to embody that in my action, healing just might come to me and to the world around us. May it be so. Amen.